demand for energy is growing, and so is the need for American oil and natural gas. It's time to turn the lights on. America's resources are abundant. Our nation is a global leader in reducing emissions and innovators in delivering more energy sources to secure our future. Nine in ten Americans agree. American oil and natural gas are vital to our economy. Visit lightsonenergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. All right. Well, you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by API. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 331. And we're not in our normal studio, are we, Mark? No, there's a bunch of people looking at us. Yeah, it's not my favorite thing, but hi, everyone. We're live today at the NEO Waukesha sales meeting. And we have known NEO and Waukesha for a very long time. I've known Chris, I don't know for how many years. And we were talking earlier in the year, and he was telling me he was putting this shindig together for sales support marketing people. And I go, hey, you should bring a live podcast. He goes, okay. So Chris, thank you. We get to meet a lot of good people here. Without you pulling us in, without you being a listener, we wouldn't be here. So I'll give Chris props later for this. You ready to get started? Yeah, well, actually, we have a review to read. Review. Yep. A five-star review worth a second review and rating from R.S. Latimer. I've listened to various OGGN podcasts over the past couple of years, with the main one being Oil & Gas This Week. Mark and Paige do a great job delivering timely industry info in a fast-paced environment and an informative show. I'm a huge consumer of all kinds of energy-related information via podcasts, and this one is always on top of my playlist. Keep rocking the program. So we know who RS is. That's Rob. Yeah, I've actually had him on industry yeah, leaders. Yeah, yeah. So. so Rob, thank you for the the second review. We didn't pay him for this, so really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, new stories. Chevron exec: California policy would deter energy production. All right, I'm going to try really hard not to make fun of California. So basically, <laughs> and actually, I actually know Andy Walls. Andy Walls is the president of products at Chevron. And he wrote this very detailed letter to California's government basically saying, look, you're making it harder and harder for Chevron and our competitors to provide inexpensive fuel to the state of California, and people are struggling. People are having to make a choice between putting fuel in their car and feeding their kids, and that's not right. So, California, let me talk you through some of the stuff that you need to change. <laughs> that's going to be a long list. This went straight to the California <laughs> Energy Commission, who's getting ready to have a hearing, and some of the things that he brought up that is very worthwhile, we've also talked about it on the show before, is everything's like how state policy infects gasoline prices, the disconnect in the public opinion. So a lot of people don't know this. You go to California and you go fill up at a Chevron gas station, that gasoline did not come or most probably did not come from a Chevron refinery. In fact, Chevron doesn't own gas stations, neither the Shell, Exxon, BP in the U.S. They're owned by independent operators. So Chevron or BP or whoever who has the closest refinery to the retail station provides the gasoline. So the gasoline is exactly the same when it comes out of the refinery. When they put it in a pipeline or a tanker truck to bring it to the actual retail gas station, that's when they add the additives that differentiates the fuel. While California residents are screaming that they're paying $7 a gallon at the pump for gasoline right now, what they don't know 
is it has nothing to do with the local refineries and Chevron doesn't even own the gas station. It's the lowest profit part of the value chain. Now, there's been a little bit of change that with Shell looking to buy retail gas stations in the U.S. to add to their EV recharging fleet. Let's see where that goes. But one of the things that Chevron brings up is, look, we don't even own the gas stations that you're complaining about. The person that owns it is probably your neighbor. Somebody's called a jobber. The next thing they bring up is how the downstream policies are not allowing Chevron and their competitors in California to grow refineries. And the refinery constraint is one of the problems in the country, in the world, and especially in California, when you can't refine fuels fast enough, the prices, of course, are go up because the supplies diminish. And that trend in California has been going on for 25 years when California started the California Air Resource Board Phase 2. And when they started this, this is back in 1995, one of their clear goals was to increase the prices of gasoline and diesel in California to the point that nobody would buy it, forcing the electrification of the fleet. The next thing brought up is the penalties and the disadvantage of working in California, how that affects gasoline prices. He also talked about how this unfair advantage actually does not help renewables because it's causing uncertainty in the market. And if you look at what's going on in California, there's several offshore wind projects that were financed by the state and federal government that now dead in the water. Somebody's going to have to spend time and money to clean up those wind farms that were never brought online. And don't get me wrong, people. I love renewables. They have their right fit in the right place, but they have to work in the free market. They can't be propped up forever by government subsidies. If you go through this news article, the link will be in the show notes. It's one fact after another fact after another fact on why Chevron says fuel prices are so expensive in California, they're going to get worse to the point that Chevron wrote off several billion dollars worth of assets off their books last month. So just December. Exxon did the same thing in California, not in any other state, but just in California. So if you're our California listeners, look, if you're tired of paying what you're paying at the pump, understand that if you don't change your policies, it could get worse and it's not going to get better. All right. All right. So next article is API reports unexpected decrease in U.S. crude supplies. Yeah. So right now, other than California, the rest of the country is enjoying very inexpensive fuels at the pump compared to the last year. Unfortunately, that is not going to last this entire year. At some point this year, prices will start growing up because demand is outstripping supply. And this API report is basically saying that the decrease in crude supplies was a bit unexpected. A lot of people saw this coming. I saw it coming. You know, our friends at Energy Rogue saw this coming. So I'm not quite sure why API missed this. One of the interesting things in here that they bring up is inventory is about 355 million barrels, which is low, actually. But our strategic petroleum reserve has just, they've added 0.6 million barrels, our current administration, bringing our strategic petroleum reserve up to a total of 8 million barrels. Do you want to know how long 8 million barrels would run this country? Not very long. Six hours. Yeah. And if you don't know this, our strategic petroleum reserve is there for one reason and one reason only. It's not for politics. It's not there to lower the price at the pump. It's in case something really bad happens and we need to power our company and our war machine. We burn 20 million barrels a day. 8 million barrels in our strategic petroleum reserve means that not only is the country's fuel gauge on E, the light's on. This is a scary place to be with what else is going on in the world. Let's hope that our current administration and whatever new administration happens this year sees the value increase in the strategic petroleum Reserve, so we have that safety factor. But you're seeing supplies go down to everything, not just crude oil. Same thing's happening with uh, natural gas liquids, distillates, and that's all that to be expected as the world continues to ramp up demand. We just can't keep up with supply, and so prices will go up. All right. Red Sea oil transport uninterrupted despite regional unrest. I love how they wrote this article. <laughs> 
So they start off saying, despite missile and drone attacks on container ships in the Red Sea from the Houthis, tanker traffic remains stable in December. And this is coming from Reuters, who is actually tracking a lot of this vessel data. What they don't mention here is one of the reasons that the traffic is staying steady is because U.S. Fifth Fleet is in the Red Sea. And the U.S. Fifth Fleet, or at least a part of it, has engaged with a lot of the drone attacks from the rebels, actually taking a lot of the drones out of the air, actually taking some of their small, fast boats out of the air. And unfortunately, the rebels made the mistake stake of firing on some Navy helicopters, and so they took <laughs> those guys out. This is one of those interruptions in tanker traffic that if it does happen, if we can't keep control over the Houthi rep, the rebels out there, it could increase global energy prices literally overnight. The good thing is U.S. Fifth Fleet or part of the U.S. Fifth Fleet is there. Our buddies from Britain, their Navy's there, and they're doing a very good job of not letting things escalate, but it keeping things from getting worse. However, it's a fire keg right there right now. There's so many things going on with Israel and Hamas and with Iran, Iraq, and then with the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea that all it takes is somebody to make a mistake, somebody to pull a trigger or push a button when they shouldn't, and you're going to have a pretty major conflict breakout, which is going to drive crude prices through the roof for a few months. Let's hope that, number one, that doesn't happen. Number two, if it does happen, that the U.S. can clamp down on it and snuff it out before it gets worse. Fingers crossed on that one. It is notable that both BP and Equinor, old stat oil, have decided not to move super tankers through the Red Sea. I think it's too risky. I wouldn't do it either right now. I would wait till things settle down a little bit further. But world trade has to go on, and the Red Sea is a vital transport route. So we're going to keep an eye on this. Yep. Biden admin reviews LNG approval process. (sighs) (laughs) If you listen to the show any length of time, you know how I've talked endlessly about our current administration says one thing, but their actions say that they don't like the oil and gas industry and they're doing a lot of things to add cost, which then hurts everybody and eventually goes down and hurts the consumers. But also said that a couple of things are kind of good about a current administration in that they basically don't see what's going on with LNG or petrochemicals. Well, now LNG is on their radar. So what's going on is they're changing approval criteria for LNG production plants, which is basically they add more rules and regulations and steps. They're doing this in response to a lot of environmental concerns, especially in the Gulf Coast of the U.S. One of the things that nobody understands that if you leak LNG, it turns to a gas and it's gone. It's not like crude oil. And the coastal community especially in Louisiana, Texas, where they're building these LNG plants, they need the jobs. The people there want the jobs because it's good paying, good employment. However, because they're changing the rules for the approval process, now they're going to make it lengthier to get approval for LNG expansions or uh, greenfield, so new LNG plants. And that's going to increase the time it takes for us to export LNG. And if you remember, one of the cool things that's going on right now is Russia try to use natural gas as a weapon like it's done forever with Europe. And we're able to backfill a lot of that with LNG we're exporting from the U.S. So we've loosened Russia's chokehold on Europe, which is moving us more toward a free market. And even though here in Texas it's freezing cold at, what, 59 degrees (laughs) from Houston, (laughs) in Europe it's like zero parts of Europe. It's not a matter of staying warm to be comfy. It's a matter of keeping people alive. Yeah, We don't need any more rules and regulations around LNG. Our current administration is doing this because it's an election year and they want to appeal to the site, to the voters that will actually put them back in office. This isn't good for anybody. It's not good for the companies that have been pre-approved that are waiting to get more LNG capacity online. It's not good for the U.S. workers who build these plants and then later run these plants. It's not good for the rest of the world who's dependent on our natural gas to keep people warm and alive this winter. This is just a mess. Fingers crossed that when we go through our next election that this gets thrown out the window. 
Okay, next up is Philip 66 and talks for non-core asset sale. To be interesting what they consider non-core. It doesn't say in this article they still manufacture asphalt. If you remember a long time ago, Citgo actually divested from its asphalt business before they got bought by Petrovesa in Venezuela. And that was one, a huge mistake they made because the demand for asphalt actually started going up. I do suspect that's what Phyllis 66 is talking about, is getting rid of their asphalt business. They're also running behind other refiners. Like all refiners in the U.S. since COVID, the refineries have been running wide open. Literally, I've said this earlier, it's like getting in your car and putting your right foot to the floor and leaving it there for three years, right? At some point, something's going to break. The refineries aren't designed to do that. And a lot of refineries literally right now are taking core assets offline to do planned maintenance and repair because they've needed to do this for a long time, which is good. I actually expect it to have more incidents in refineries either having unplanned shutdown or outages or unfortunately accidents. And it didn't happen. It was amazing that these old refineries, we haven't built a new refinery in this country since 1978, I believe, other than the small Davis refinery in North Dakota, which is one off. These old refineries weren't meant to run wide open. We've done it for three years. Phillips is looking at finally bringing the refineries offline to do plan maintenance repair. They're also looking at selling the non-core assets to generate more cash flow. We'll see what they do. The refining business in fuels is a low margin, long-term predictable business. Petrochemicals is where the real money is. Last year, petrochemicals kind of tanked, but modern life is impossible without petrochemicals. So petrochemicals, the prices will come back. You're seeing a lot of governments, you're seeing China, you're seeing the Middle East invest in petrochemical plants, ethylene crackers, because they know the world's going to need petrochemicals. I do think that this is a smart move by them, but I'm just not absolutely sure whether they considered their non-core assets. We'll keep eye on this. Okay, next up, EPA's overbearing methane regulations to harm U.S. oil natural gas producers. It's literally getting ridiculous. So if you don't know this, people, in the U.S., about 91% of all hydrocarbons that are produced are produced by independent operators. It's not produced by Chevron and Exxon and BP. 90% of the natural gas is produced by independent operators. 83% of America's oil production is by independent operators. And these small companies, a lot of them are family-owned, right? So great-great-grandpa started an operating company in West Texas somewhere, and now that company's 20 or 30 employees. They have good assets. They know what they're doing. They know how to extract those hydrocarbons responsibly, make sure they take care of the environment because it's their land. They live on it. What's happening is our current administration is adding another layer of methane regulations to the U.S. producers, which adds a layer of cost. When I say methane, just think natural gas. Natural gas is almost completely methane. And what happened for a very long time is that in the right situations, it didn't make fiscal sense to take that natural gas that comes out of a well. And which, by the way, when you drill an oil well, you don't just get oil. You get all kinds of stuff. You get gas, oil, water, sand. And the mix, the ratio between the oil and gas changes. And you can specifically try to drill for gas or try to drill for oil, but you get a mixture of the both. So certain parts of the U.S., when they would drill and they would have natural gas, they couldn't bring it to market, so they would flare it, so they would burn it off. That's not really great for the environment. Now, it's way better for the environment than just venting the natural gas to the air. <laughs> What's happening is as environmental concerns heighten and as companies, operators have to be more and more efficient, and as the cost of pipeline infrastructure has actually gone down in the grand schemes of things, and you're seeing this boom in pipeline infrastructure here in the U.S. to get all these hydrocarbons to different markets, what's happening is the operators are now able finally not to flare that gas and actually put it in the system and actually sell it. Even if they don't make a profit, at least they're recovering some of their 
their cost. Well, now we're adding an extra layer of rules and regulations that make absolutely no sense, literally no sense. And this was written into the IRA. So now it's basically a methane tax that's included in the Inflation Reduction Act. Part of that is they basically allowed other companies and individuals to what I call weaponize being a tattletale. So if you're an operator and I don't like that you're an operator and I think you're flaring gas or you're leaking methane out of a pipeline, I can tell on you to the EPA, the EPA goes investigates. And if I'm right, I get a reward. Well, you're driving the wrong behavior. You're now paying people and individuals to go find leaks, whether they're real or not, in order to make this money. That is not how this should be put together. This is a mess. This article is the Independent Petroleum Association of America. America going through this in detail and talking about how this is hurting a lot of the independent producers, a lot of the family-run businesses, and it's hurting American jobs. I think our next administration through our next election cycle, regardless of who comes into power, I think they'll look real hard at this. Not our current administration, but our previous administration took a lot of the teeth away from the EPA. And if you remember, it was beautiful. The EPA is there to protect the environment, and we need the EPA. However, they're not there to enforce other people's political beliefs, and they need to stay as far away from politics as possible. This is just another one of those overbearing rules that's adding costs that ultimately you and I pay for. But I think this will be overthrown once we go through this next political election cycle. All right. Next up, Trans Mountain Oil Pipeline request heads to Friday regulatory hearing, which I think is happening right now. I feel so sorry for Trans Mountain. They have been working on this forever. They've had everything in the world happen to them to prevent this from happening. It got so bad that the Canadian government wanted to shut it down. Then the Canadian government had to buy it at like a 200% markup. So let me tell you what the holdup is. Everything's been approved. And actually, our last, either our last episode before that, we talked about how they're actually filling this pipe, which is the last step. It's the last bit of testing before they actually start moving product. Trans Mountain actually asked the Canadian energy regulator, sir, can we change this larger diameter pipe out, this 12-mile piece of larger diameter pipe for a smaller diameter pipe, which should have been an automatic, yeah, sure, no problem, right? Less of a footprint, less pipe, less steel. Well, the Canadian energy regulatory body said, well, since you're changing from a larger piece of pipe to a smaller piece of pipe, you have to go through all the environmental approvals again. They're not changing the route. They're not changing the color. They're not changing anything. They're just going from a larger diameter pipe to a smaller diameter pipe over, I said, 12 miles, 1.4 mile piece of this pipeline. And they're having to go through all the hoops and hollers again. And they're doing it. One of the things for our listeners in Canada, every time I get really upset at what our government's doing to hurt the oil and gas industry, I see what your government does. And I feel bad. (laughs) We're like in the same boat with our brothers and sisters up north of us. So fingers crossed, this is the last piece for the Trans Mountain Pipeline actually is up and actually flowing product. Perfect. All right. UAE bans tankers flying Cameroon flag on safety concern. This is like an episode of NCIS. (laughs) (sighs) When Russia invaded Ukraine, the Western world and NATO got together and said, look, we're going to put sanctions on buying Russian oil because that's how Russia funds their war machine. It worked and it worked actually pretty well for a little while. What happened, though, is Russia needed to sell their hydrocarbons. They needed to sell their crude oil in order to fund almost their entire economies based upon the export of hydrocarbons. So what they did is they went and rounded up what you'll hear in the news called a ghost fleet of tankers. This isn't a ghost fleet, although some of them look like they're ghost ships. These are ships that have been decommissioned all around the world because they're not safe enough to move crude oil around, and they were headed for the scrap keep. What does Russia do? They buy these old tankers, or they leverage the countries with debt and just assume the tankers who some of them aren't even seaworthy. They definitely aren't safe for the environment to haul crude. And Russia's using this ghost fleet 
of super tankers that are in really bad shape to move crude around the world and sell it to the countries that will still buy the sanctioned crude. China is probably the main buyer. India is doing it too, though. The problem with this is that if you're a merchant vessel, you have to have a transponder and you have to be flagged. It's just the rules of being in maritime so that other countries know who owns your vessel and who's running it. And there's a lot of rules and regulations and history behind that. I don't want to get too deep in that. These Russian ghost fleets need a flag and need a transponder to correspond to our country so they can move around. Most countries won't let them fly their flag because it's sanctioned oil and the vessels they're using are not safe for the crews or the environment. Well, here's Cameroon, which is an African country, saying, give us money and you can fly our flags, <laughs> which is what they've been doing to move their sanctioned oil around and sell it. I mean, pretty clever. Pretty clever, except us and the 300 people in this room and the 3 million people that are listening to us know that they're doing this. It's not a secret anymore. So basically, the UAE says, look, any vessel flying the Cameroon flag, we're not letting it in. It's a safety concern. It's an economic concern. What this is going to do eventually is restrict Russia's ability to sell their black market oil. It is interesting to see what's going on still with the Ukraine. I don't know when it's going to end, but I am pretty confident that at some point, Soon, like this year, hostilities will cease. Both sides will declare some type of victory. I think Ukraine will come out, keep its deep water port, keep some of the lands that have producing fields in it. I think Russia will assume some of historic territories because Russia's broke. And Ukraine, even though there's a whole backstory there, their people are tired. I mean, it's not just their professional soldiers have been fighting this war with Russia. It's the entire population. Right. I think we're headed toward an end to this. I'm just not sure at what point the sanctions will be lifted by the Western world for Russian crude. It's in the realm of possibilities that they don't lift sanctions once hostilities ceased for a little while. And Russia is pretty close to being broke. It's in the realm of possibilities that we may see some type of civil unrest happened in Russia. And if you remember, it almost happened once before with the Wagner incident when the mercenaries turned oh, around. Oh, that's right. Putin is not the favorite of the Russian people like he used to be. So it's just going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting year to see what happens with Russia. Let's hope nothing major breaks out. Let's hope if something does happen in Russia, it's peaceful. We'll keep an eye on this one as well. Okay. Dolphin Drilling receives $2 million in outstanding payments from GHL over Nigeria contract. Bet that was that Nigerian princess that emails everybody. She <laughs> finally paid. Them. Basically, Dolphin Drilling has done a ton of work. I think they're headquartered in Aberdeen, and they're just getting you paid for it. They had a lot of submersibles, semi-submersibles working out in the field. Nobody paid a penny. They basically yanked all their people and their equipment after a whole bunch of efforts to receive these outstanding funds. They didn't get paid, and finally, because they need the submersibles, Nigeria paid the contracts. Next time this happens, we need to introduce them to our debt collection people, <laughs> which by the way, audiences, we have a new podcast coming out that is going to be hilarious. And it's all around the collection of debt in the oil and gas industry. So stay tuned for that. But General Hydrocarbons uh, basically wrote a check for the $41 million. Everything's squared away now with Dolphin. The big thing is now, is Dolphin going to go back to Nigeria and work after spending all this time and money to get paid? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. But once again, when you do business in that part of the world, this is one of the risks that you run. All right. Next up is Bureau of Land Management announces oil and gas lease sale in North Dakota. 
This is normally when there's no oil and gas sales leases announced. The next thing that comes out of the mouth is either our current administration or environmentalists trying to stop it. Right. You want to guess what? Nobody. Ain't nobody's trying to stop drilling <laughs> North Dakota. About the time. people in the government in North Dakota are not going to allow that. Hats off to them. They don't play around up there. We're in the public comment period, which I think is about 30 days for people to give public comments on these leases. And the lease is scheduled for March 12th. It's about 2,500 acres of land. And these are actually some good reservoirs. This is federal land, so these are going to be leased, and BLM is the one that's actually supervising this. The interesting thing is this is one of the first ones that I've seen that are end up paying the new royalty rate, which is 16 point something percent, as opposed to historically the, was it 13 percent royalty rate, yeah. which is not that big a difference. The problem in North Dakota is twofold. One is manpower. It's hard to get people to move there to actually do the work. And the other two is the weather. You can operate all year long, but you can't drill all year long. This is good. This is good for the people in North Dakota. It's good for the world. The more hydrocarbons we can get out and on the market, the more we can help feed this little energy shorts that were still in post-pandemic. Good job, Bureau of Land Management and the government of North Dakota for getting these leases out. And I do find it hilarious that nobody's protesting. All right. Last one. Former Tory energy minister quits as member of parliament over Sunak's harmful push for new oil and gas. Yeah, so this is a Chris Sidmore. This has been in the news a good bit. A lot of the anti-oil and gas activists are looking at this as a very positive thing. Quite frankly, I'm glad he's gone. He doesn't understand the energy industry. He is quitting over the fact that the UK is looking to increase production, especially in the North Sea. And what he's not realizing is that if we don't increase production, People are going to starve. People are going to freeze. Right. Prices are going to stay high. I'm glad he quit. If he didn't quit, somebody should have kicked him out of there. Now, with all that said, now this is going to tip the balance of power between the conservatives and the liberal majority a little bit. But in the UK, their conservatives are different than ours, and they actually have multiple parties. It's not as big a deal as it would be here since we have a two-party system. The other thing that was interesting about this is that he talked about not wanting to have any political party allegiance. The whole reason he quit was because of his political party allegiance. So I'm not quite sure how that makes sense to him. It will be interesting to see who they backfill him with. I think it's really interesting to look at the anti-oil and gas sentiment around the world. It's kind of sad. It was not that long ago that other countries like Africa, Australia, if you got a job in the oil and gas industry, people celebrate it, right? Because it was prosperity and food and medical care and everything. And now even young teenagers in Africa don't want to work for this industry because they think we're destroying the planet. In the UK, it seemed like they moved that culture, the anti-oil and gas culture quicker than we did it here. But now I'm starting to see it rebound quicker and go the other way than it is going here. You know, I make fun of the just stop oil people all the time, but now there's the just stop pissing people off group, which is an anti-oil and gas protest groups. Now you have groups in the UK that are protesting the oil and gas protesters. And I love that. So I think the pendulum's starting to swing the other way in the UK. And I think this is a good chance to get somebody that is pro-energy in the energy minister's office instead of somebody that's anti-energy. That's it. Oh, that's the last one, isn't it? Yeah, I said that earlier. Uh, well, we still have some housekeeping stuff to do. Number one thing, newsletters. We have two of the best, we think anyway. So we have our Sunday update, which is full of everything from recipes from a 100-year-old company that's been catered to the oil and gas industry all over the world. We have coupons for price breaks on stuff. We have behind the scenes of what's going on at OGGN. Our newest thing is that instead of a job board, we're going to actually post people that are looking for work so we can help them out individually. And it's fun. You get a little insight into the 
actual market dynamics of both the natural gas and crude oil. So quick read, the link's in the show notes. Go sign up for our Sunday update. Our marketing team grew that newsletter from zero subscribers to we're at 30,000 subscribers in nine weeks. That's crazy. Nice. And then the other one, especially if people here in this room, you're in sales and marketing and you want to be made aware of all the oil and gas conferences, trade shows, and expos, we have a newsletter just for that. Once again, it's free. Go sign up for it. This way, each month you get a list of all the oil and gas conferences, trade shows, and expos. And a lot of times there's free tickets or coupons in there that's not made available to the public. A lot of salespeople find that very valuable. Weekly rig count. Where are we? In the United States, we're at 621, down one. Canada's up 39 at 125, and internationally, we're down 23 at 955. Good numbers for this time of year, especially yeah. with the ground being frozen in Canada. And if you are someplace that's really cold and you need something warm to wear, guess what? What? You can go to our merch store. So we launched a merchandise store in December. It's doing extremely well. Actually, I have to tell a funny story. There's shirts for every one of our podcasts. I think we have 20 some odd podcasts right now. And so you can buy a shirt for all and gas this week. You can buy a shirt for all and gas sales and marketing, all and gas HS and E. Guess who's the only shirt that's selling? Mine. Yours. <laughs> so if you see people walk around with a picture of Paige Wilson on their chest, they bought a shirt from our merch store. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> it's funny. If you want to follow us and keep track of what's going on, the best thing is LinkedIn. Just go to our company page and sign up. Big shout out to Landry who manages that for us. She's doing a great job. Also, we're getting ready to stick our toe in TikTok. We just hired our TikTok manager, so that's coming soon. Talked about merch speaking. If you have an event, you'd like us to come do a live podcast like this one that we're doing at a live event. You want us to do a keynote, reach out to me. Happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A, that's where we answer your questions. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I, but is actually help educate our audiences. Thank you for everybody that's been writing the questions. We've gotten a lot recently. Yep. You ready to get out of here? I already knew what you were going to ask. Okay. Yeah, Remember, folks, do, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.